0: of my heart not be all else we So as I was preparing this sermon today uh, earlier in the week uh, I saw the readings and I went oh goodness gracious really <laughs> It's not such a big deal at this service, but at the other services, when we do communion around the altar, which we'll do on the first Sunday of each month, and we'll do it later today as well. Um, but uh, when we do that, we have a problem. <laughs> the problem is just timing and logistics. And the, the council likes it when I preach a short sermon on Sundays when we have to get up and get everyone around the altar. Um, it, it's impossible to preach a short sermon on these texts. <laughs> and do them any justice at all. Um, And so, uh, and really, a full biblical theology of divorce is really something you should be spending time like five or six classes on in an hour apiece. Um, So I thought, maybe I'll preach on the psalm. (laughs) But, uh, but I thought, no, that's really akin to pastoral malpractice. You can't let these, you can't let these texts hang out there without any word with them. So I thought, okay, Lord, help me. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, two things I want to offer as this, this sermon begins. The first of which is that we can't avoid the language that Jesus uses here of sin. Um, it's wrong to approach. Divorce, as though it's a moment of self-actualization and realization, um, it's it, there's always sin involved. And I've had to preach on this text several times since I've been uh, ordained. It comes around every three years, whether I like it or not. Um, and and honestly, uh, I, I've I've had people talk to me afterward. They said, you know, people who've been through divorce, um, and, they're, and they're, they would say to me, you know, really. Um, you're right. There is sin involved. I look back on that time in my life, and if, if and if I think they were more at fault, I was a mess too. <laughs> um, and so, uh, so we can't avoid sin. But also, there's a word of hope with this. This is not the unforgivable sin. That's in another text from the Gospels. Um, and so, we start our journey with these texts with already a ray of hope. Um, and I want to start by talking to you about a friend of mine uh, to open up where because I do want to talk about the impact that divorce has on us um, the ripple effects of sin um, and there are many uh, for every type of sin not just divorce but everyone here is affected by divorce we've either been through it which is the most miserable experience although I've not been through it I've talked with a lot of people and I'm firmly convinced of that um, But maybe our parents got divorced, like mine did. Um, And I heard just recently a young person say, you know, everyone talks about and worries about the impact it'll have on young kids, but it impacts you as an adult too. Um, It did me. Uh, It affects us if it's our children. It affects us if it's our brother, our sister, our friends, our cousins. Um, All of us are impacted by it. Um, And one of the chief impacts it has upon us is shame. Um, we have tremendous amount of shame uh, if we've been through it, if our friends have been through it, if our family's been through it, um, that's one of the impacts it has. And I want to share with you a story uh, that really brought this to my attention a few years ago. Um, colleague of mine, just superbly gifted for ministry. And. Um, Tremendous uh, heart to serve people. Um, And wherever she went, everything she touched in ministry, it was like she had the Midas touch and it would turn to gold. And um, every ministry she touched grew. Every ministry she touched, and it grew not just in terms of the size of it, although that that sometimes happened, it it grew in terms of the spiritual vitality. People came to life in those ministries. Um, People who had been hopeless suddenly had hope. And they would—you could see them stepping into new roles and and having and enc- being encouraged and enheartened. And um, it was just she she just she brought Christ to people. Her own walk with Christ was so deep that when she would sit down with someone and talk with them, they would feel like they'd had that encounter with Jesus, and that gave them the courage that they had lacked before. They had had a sense of, of, of being able to move forward in a new way. But there came a day when she was sitting in my office, just weeping. Um, and just that kind of, those kind of heaving tears where the person shakes. They're just in such grief. Um... Some of the people she was ministering to had a history with her, knew her when, as they like to say. All my high school friends keep threatening to show up here when I'm preaching. (laughs) Um, And uh, she said that, you know, no matter what I do around here for Jesus, I feel like I walk around here with a big red D on my chest for divorced. And that's all anybody sees when they look at me. She was feeling shame. Um, and that shame affects not just her, it affected her kids, it affected the people around us. Uh, it, it always does. That's what happens in our lives. And the theolo- one theologian I, I read made a very helpful distinction for me between guilt and shame. Guilt is when we feel bad because we believe we've done something wrong, that's appropriate. People who cannot feel guilt when they've done something wrong are called sociopaths, okay? And there are institutions and prisons for them um, because they're not safe around other people. They can't feel when they hurt others. Um, they can't reckon with their own sense of things. Guilt is appropriate because when we do something wrong, we should feel bad that we've done something wrong, but shame is different. In shame, it's not that we've done something wrong, it's that we are something wrong, it's the profound belief that somewhere deep inside of us is something so fundamentally flawed it's irredeemable and i've talked with enough people who've been through divorce that they often feel that about themselves there's something inside of me that made all this inevitable it's not that i did something wrong is that i'm there is something wrong with me that's shame and shame affects everyone impacted by divorce. And I wonder if that's why Jesus, when he was teaching and preaching on this very subject, this, it's one of the most personal sins because the wounds are so deep and they hurt so badly, that Jesus took a child and put it in the midst of the disciples and said, if you do not receive the kingdom of heaven like a little child, you don't receive it at all because and here I'll say this I don't think he's primarily thinking of the child's innocence in fact the idea of childhood being a time of innocence is really an invention of the 19th century no one talked that way before the 1800s Um, and if you spend any time with a bunch of two year olds like I do occasionally we have a daycare center here um, you will be fully convinced after 15 minutes with a group of two year olds that they are just as capable of sin as you and I (laughs) okay (laughs) Um, They don't have the strength and the reach that an adult has. But they'll punch each other, they'll they'll shame each other and make each other feel bad on purpose. They They can do the same nasty things that adults do. It's not a child's innocence that Jesus is drawing attention to. He's drawing attention for us to their lack of shame in a very particular way. Our Genesis text ended with those words, they were naked and not ashamed. Okay? Why were they not ashamed? They had nothing to hide. They, had, they they were not just physically naked, they were spiritually naked. They were completely open and transparent to each other and to their Lord. They walked with God in the garden and had perfect communion with Him. Fast forward a couple of verses and what you see is That as sin, the the first sin comes into the world, what you have is the temptation not simply to eat something you were told not to eat. I've taken cookies I wasn't supposed to take. It's not that big a deal. (laughs) The temptation of the serpent is that if you eat it, you will be like God. The temptation is that they can take God's place. They can know for themselves good from evil. Instead of just listening to Him. The problem is, when you want to be like God, there's only ever one person who fills that seat. So when we presume to decide good and evil for ourselves, we're not only dethroning God, we're dethroning the person next to us. And so we have to start hiding things from them. Because uh, I may think I'm right and my spouse may think she's right and all of a sudden we have to navigate that. There's parts of ourselves we start to hide because we've taken the role of God presuming to know good from evil but we know we're not really qualified for the position. <laughs> So we start having to prove ourselves to others. We start having to make excuses for ourselves. Isn't that the first thing that they do when God shows up? Adam, what did you do? It wasn't my fault, it was hers. She made me do it. And then she says, oh no, 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 it wasn't me, it was the serpent. <laughs> that, you that you created. That's right. It's all your fault, God. <laughs> exactly. This is what we do when we're ashamed. But Jesus takes this little child and puts it in the midst of the disciples and says, become like a child. You know what a child is not ashamed of? Their utter dependency on their parents. A child will come running to the person who brings... I mean, I am the most... Peggy knows. I am the most popular guy over at the daycare right now because I've got candy on my desk. (laughs) (laughs) Child comes running to the one who provides for them and embraces them and feels no shame at all about the nature of how dependent they are on that person for their food, for their clothing, for their shelter, for their protection, for their life. That's how dependent we are on God. We, as we grow older, feel like we should be able to stand on our own two feet, but I tell you, when it comes to salvation, nobody does whether you're an inveterate liar or an absolutely scrupulous truth-teller, whether you're a glutton or whether you follow that diet to the letter, whether you're married or divorced or never married, none of us enters the kingdom of heaven walking on our own two feet. We enter the kingdom of heaven with Jesus Christ carrying us on His two feet. We should never let our shame keep us from coming to Him because no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, we should not be ashamed of ourselves because He is not ashamed of us. He went to the cross for our sake, He shed His blood for our sake. He calls us and claims us for His own for His sake, for our sake. He wants us to be family again and He has sacrificed everything that that might be true. And we should go to Him like the book of Hebrews says because He's just like us in everything but sin. When you come and tell Him your sins, it's not like He didn't know. And not only that He didn't know the fact that you committed them, but He knows how you felt as you committed them because He was tempted too. Only He just didn't give in at the critical moment like we do. We should run to Him in all circumstances and never let our shame get in the way. There's a wonderful story that the Chaldean Christians tell. Um, The Chaldean Christians are some of the oldest continuously living Christian communities in the world. They exist in what was Persia at the time of the New Testament, but we think of as Iraq today. Um, And there's a story they tell... Uh, very Middle Eastern in flavor. A man is walking from Jerusalem to Jericho in the morning and he encounters the devil on the road. And he fears the devil's coming for him. He says, What do you want? He says, Oh, don't worry. I'm not interested in you today. I'm going to your brother's house. Well, why? He's about to create a grave sin and I go to take his shame away that he may make it graver. Well, the day passes and as a man is returning home at the end of the evening, he encounters the devil again. But the devil's walking the same direction and he says, where are you going now? And the devil says, well, I'm going back to your brother's house. Now that he has sinned, I go to give him his shame back so he will not turn to the Savior. Shame is the devil's lie to us that we cannot be saved. Guilt is appropriate. Shame is not. But Jesus Christ comes to take away Both. And so we should run to Him and never let our pride, never let our shame keep us back from running to our Savior's feet so He may touch us like that little child and raise us up. Will you join me for a word of prayer? Lord God, Just like Adam and Eve, when we sin, we hide. It's foolish, and with our heads we know it, but with our hearts we don't. Lord, help us never to hide from you. Let us set aside our shame that we may run to you so you may take away our guilt and help us know how precious and loved we are. Raise us up, O Lord from the floor of shame to walk with you all the days of our lives and we ask this in Jesus precious and holy name amen be thou my vision of my heart Would not be all else to me My presence, my life.